we have this idea that everyone is just having this hot sex life, but it's not happening in at least 50% of marriages. And even in the 50% of marriages that it is happening, it's really dysfunctional. 10 or 20% of marriages are having that soulful, wholesome, connected, pleasurable, equitable experience that we're looking for. Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and tips from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or relationships to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey, you're on air with Ella. And today I am joined by Jana Denton House. And she is a desire coach for married women who want to want sex, but just don't. Okay, we're going to talk all about that. We're going to talk about low sex drive. We're going to talk about low libido. We're probably going to talk about what might actually be wrong with those terms. I cannot wait to see where this conversation goes. Welcome, Jana. Thank you, Ella. I'm so happy to be here. I'm thrilled. I kind of hinted at what you do, but can you really tell people who you are and what you do? Absolutely. I think the best way is to describe somebody who I help. And I actually call her Mary because I like to think of her a lot. So Mary has been married for a little bit. She's got some kids and life is busy. She's exhausted. She's touched out. And the last thing she wants to do is crawl in bed with her husband and provide a need for yet another person. But she also feels kind of guilty. So that's that weird mix of resentment. Like, can't you just do more around the house and then maybe I'll want to have sex with you more. But then she also feels like she's broken and wonders what's going on. Is it hormones? Is there some trauma in their past? And there's a lot of self-diagnosis. So that's who I help. And I help her because that was my story. I cannot wait to dig in and to peel back the layers on this one. And you have a lot of people who can relate to Mary. That is for sure. But the first thing that I want to do is get something on the table. Are we going to share anything of value today that relates to people who don't fit into the married category? Absolutely. What I like to say is that I just specialize in one area. So I specialize in helping women who are married to men want and enjoy sex more. Does that mean that what I have to offer won't help people who are not married or who are not in a heterosexual relationship? No, of course. But it just means that I'll be using a lot of terms like husband and wife, for example. So I hope that your listeners can broaden it and make it applicable to their own lives. No doubt. They know that we put our arms around everybody. And obviously the goal is to share things where there are universal truths that translate to intimacy or to communication or just to being a woman in this that's, world. That's <laughs> what it boils down to. Just being a woman. How do we thrive as women in this world? All right. Tell me this. You mentioned that this was your story. Talk to me about that. What, what brought you here? Years of pain and suffering. That's what brought me here. Because when I got married, I got married very young. And I usually have to add the caveat that I wasn't pregnant and I wasn't in some weird cult that forced me to get, get married. But I did get married at 17. And sex was just not something I ever thought was going to be an issue. I thought you get married, you have great sex, lots of orgasms, lots of great things happen. And it's the glue that holds you together and it's sacred and delicious and vibrant and all that. That was not the case for me. I didn't get what all the hype was about. 
I struggled to have orgasms for the first time. My husband wanted it all the time. I felt repulsed. I felt objectified, but then I had all those feelings of what's wrong with me. So about five years in, we went to see our first counselor, but he didn't really have much to offer me. And we went to a plethora of counselors, experts, workshops. I read a million books and there just wasn't any solutions that worked in the long run. I eventually trained as a marriage coach because we had been to so much marriage support. And then I thought, I'm smart. I have a lot of training. I can figure this out. So I went on kind of a research mission for myself and I figured out the formula that nobody else seems to be talking about. So that's what I teach. 17. Jana, we need to talk about this for a second. <laughs> it's a whole <laughs> other podcast interview. <laughs> And here's really what I mean. I bet we could do a show on just that. But your age is obviously an outlier, right? That it's an anomaly. At the same time, the issues that you describe are absolutely not. And I would argue a lot of people at 27, at 32, at 35 can relate to everything that you just said. It is wildly interesting that you had that experience at 17. Yeah, it's just part of my story, but it doesn't yeah. really relate to the reason that I was struggling. I help women in all, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s who are having the same exact challenges. Well, and one thing that we didn't mention is then you had children. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily make any of the issues that you articulated better. <laughs> You know, it's interesting you bring this up because I find it's about 50-50 split. The women I support, 50% of them never really wanted or enjoyed sex. And the other 50%, something happened in their life. Usually it's around motherhood, but it's sometimes around a traumatic event or a death in the family or hormonal changes in their bodies. What I find is it often just brings to light what was already there all along. I also think, I mean, you tell me, do you think there's any truth in the fact too, that once you start giving so much of yourself to other bodies, to other entities, to other creatures, also called your children, that you feel like you're just a giving machine? Yeah. I don't know if you've heard the term human giver syndrome. Um, I don't have that, I don't think, but... <laughs> But I, I can intuitively understand what it is, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if your listeners want to learn more, the book Burnout by Amelia and Emily Nagoski is a great place to learn about it. And basically, the, the premise is that there are human givers and human beings in the world. So human givers are, we're programmed, we're conditioned to put other people first all the time. And in an ideal world, we'll, we'll all be human givers, but we're not in that stage yet in humanity. So we find women who are just so exhausted, touched out, burnt out, and really lacking in what I see as a pleasure uh, deficiency. You know, I have the book Burnout on my Kindle as we speak, so I will link to that for everybody. And I'm looking for, yeah, now you've, now you've inspired me to make sure that I actually read it. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about where one begins on this journey. So Mary comes to you and she says, this is my situation. Where does one begin? We have to always begin with compassion, self-compassion, because a lot of the women who come to me or your listeners are in a place of self-diagnosis, judgment, and self-blame. And yes, there is that part of, well, if my husband could just make me orgasm, or if my husband would just do more around the house, then I would have a higher libido. But ultimately, when you dig just a few layers deep, it is self-inflicted diagnosing and, and blame and criticism. So compassion instead of guilt, 
shame, judgment, comparison, perhaps. Exactly. And usually it sounds like, why? Why don't I want sex? Why don't I like my breasts being touched? Why can't I have an orgasm? So there's a lot of self-diagnosing. And what I find is that a lot of professionals are really okay with that thread of thought. So a lot of the counselors and therapists and doctors I went to in seeking out this solution, they were all on board with labeling Jana with low libido and not necessarily looking at the environment, the cultural and relational environment that I was in. Very interesting. And one thing that I do notice every time I have the opportunity to immerse myself in these conversations or to read about it or to learn about it from people like you who are doing the work is to watch women who think that they are the exception realize they are arguably a part of the majority or at least a group, a collection, a community, and they are not the anomaly. They're not alone and they're not broken. That's the two things. If I could tell women anything, it's those two things. And that's normally what I hear when people come into my world or join a class or something and there's hundreds of women there. They're like, wait a second. I thought I was the only one because we have this idea. I think it's because of sex in the media. We have this idea that everyone is just having this hot sex life. And they're getting it on every day, just having a little sex, you know, a little breakfast, a little sex in the morning. But it's not happening in, I'd say, at least 50% of marriages. And even in the 50% of marriages that it is happening, it's really dysfunctional. Maybe only like 10 or 20% of marriages are having that soulful, wholesome, connected, pleasurable, equitable experience that we're looking for. Oh, that makes my heart hurt because obviously you can be in relationships that aren't conducive to that. But I would imagine, and this is really a question for you, in a lot of cases, they're in relatively happy, healthy relationships, but maybe there's a gap here. Is that, is that fair? A hundred percent. What I normally hear is everything else is great. And this is for my relationship too. Everything else is great, but this one thing. We have these cyclical arguments every three months. There's a big blowout. He feels rejected and not important, not a priority. I feel icky and gross and just want to run away from the conversation. I have sex out of guilt and obligation. The cycle starts over again. Is it too early to talk about orgasms? Oh my gosh. It's not too early to talk about any. I do this all day. Let's talk about orgasms. I read some shocking statistic about how few women orgasm for like the first 15 years of their sexually active life. Yes, there's a huge orgasm gap between men and women. And it makes sense if you look at it from a cultural perspective, because there's been this really weird thing around this kind of purity around sex and it just being about procreation and that has continued down the years and so it makes sense that the male orgasm would be prioritized in most sexual experiences now when i talk about orgasm i even i even see the conversation around orgasm as being patriarchal even a female orgasm because there is some sort of bar some sort of standard that all women are trying to achieve and it's are you orgasmic or not are you broken 
or do you work? Well, I work with hundreds of women who orgasm just fine, thank you very much, and they're still not enjoying and wanting sex. So what does that say about how we understand female sexuality and masculine sexuality? I am guessing that you might not appreciate when a woman, and I'm making quote marks here, folks, is diagnosed with low libido or low sex drive. Okay, so I'm making quote marks, you're making gagging faces. We <laughs> might be onto something here. <laughs> um, like I feel a visceral reaction in my body. Yes, like I said, everyone was really happy with diagnosing me with having low libido, low sex drive. And what I found out was I was not low in anything. I was actually an extremely sensual, sexual, pleasurable, potential woman. I had it all within me, but I was not in the right environment culturally or relationally to experience that type of pleasure. I think we left Mary at compassion. <laughs> But these are extremely interesting routes that we are taking to get here. What happens next with Mary? We learn, we educate ourselves about compassion, about realizing that we are not the exception. We are not alone. What happens next? The next step is to establish safety. Mary needs boundaries. Mary needs to know that she can get undressed in her room and not worry about her husband oogling her, commodifying her, objectifying her, which happens in many, many, many healthy, there's a quote unquote, marriages, right? Now, I want to make this really clear right now. I love men. I love men. When we look at compassion, we are also looking at our partners, our husband's experience as well. It makes sense that they have been taught to persuade, to persist, to pursue. So this isn't who got it wrong or who are we going to blame other than culture. I am happy with blaming a patriarchal society. I am happy blaming misogyny, believe me. But when you, cult when you establish safety for yourself, that is being really radical about what am I okay with and what am I not okay with? What touch do I love? Like, I love holding hands with my husband. My, my husband's hands are my favorite part of his body. They're, they're very large and masculine and protective and comforting. He, we can hold hands anytime. Honestly, that's about it. I initiate all other touch because that what brings me safety. And when I have safety, guess what happens? We all have more touch in the relationship. I'm guessing that you had a real focused effort to have that conversation and figure out what each other's boundaries were. That sounds honestly, this is a crazy thing to say, and maybe it's just me. That sounds almost awkward, which is hilarious because you're talking about the most intimate thing in the world and it's awkward to talk about what works for you. How make that make sense? <laughs> well, it makes sense. So think back to your childhood, everybody here, <laughs> were you taught to give your body either neutral or positive comments? Were you taught to discuss things with your first sexual partner? What was, what did they like? No, we were taught that our bodies are shameful. We are taught that the sexual experience equates pain for women. We were taught not to look, don't touch. But then when you get married, this is for a lot of women, especially if you've been raised in a religious home, then you get married, then, then everything's great. So of course it makes sense. It's this awkward conversation, but what this boils down to is consent. And consent does not end with I do. How does one start that conversation with their partner 
you've been with somebody, you've been struggling. A lot of people try to mask the struggle, I'm guessing. I would think that some people who need to say, you know, hey, I need to talk to you about this, or this isn't working for me. Like, I would think that they would worry about the ego impact on their partner because what partner wants to hear, hey, you know, we've been together for like six months, six years, 16 years. This isn't working for me so much. Like what is more threatening to your partner than hearing that that they weren't doing it for you? And that's why they're in that position 16 years later. We put the emotional responsibility of our partner on our shoulders. That's not our job. Our job is to clearly communicate what am I okay with and what am I not okay with, with a huge dose of self-compassion and compassion for a partner as well. So yes, this is this happens all the time. I have a client who, many clients, who have been having sex with their partners three times a week and not enjoying it, dreading it, not looking forward to it. Let's just call it what it is. It's non-consensual sexual experiences. No one's being clear about it. And we're just diagnosing women with low libido. So yes, it will be awkward, but this conversation must take place in order to move forward. I want to clarify something that I I just got stuck on. If you have never stated your preferences, that's a very, that's a lot to put on your partner when you have not spoken up to say, this is okay with me, or this is not okay with me. Isn't it my responsibility to say what works for me? Absolutely. And so this isn't about blaming. This isn't putting, putting this on anybody. This isn't about labeling. This is something that's important to name. What has been going on for the last 16 years? And I use the term, the, the year 16, because actually that's a very average age, um, year that I would work with a couple. So what actually has been happening? Because if consent is an enthusiastic 100% yes, Has every sexual experience or the majority of them been an enthusiastic 100% yes? In the women that I speak to, it's been a no. So there have been signs and signals of, I don't really want to, maybe not tonight. I don't really want to try that thing that you want. Try with me. Okay, I guess we will. They know their wives are not fully into it. So again, this is just about naming it so you can move forward. Because unless you understand what's going on now, you can't make changes for the future. You made me think of something when you were talking about our willingness to say what works for us, what brings us pleasure. This is a bit meta. If you'll zoom out with me for just a moment. I think women in general struggle with taking pleasure in things, saying what gives them pleasure and pursuing things for the sheer pleasure of it. And and this can be anything from, uh, you know, a a piece of dark chocolate or seven or a vacation you want to take just for yourself or God forbid you go sit in a room by yourself for an hour and lock the door. I know so many women struggle with doing things for just the sheer pleasure of doing them. And then when and if we do, we apologize for them or call them guilty pleasure. I was just speaking with a busy professional woman just, I mean, in the past 24 hours, Shanna, and she has two children. She has a full-time job. She has a spouse. She had blah, the list goes on. And she was taking two days. I mean, 36 hours, if we want to be exact to go to a hotel by herself. And she was just telling me those facts, but the way she did it was an apology. And I said to her, and I said, 
listen to what you just told me. And I, I meant it in, in love. And I said, you just told me something fabulous that you're doing that you absolutely deserve and have earned and should apologize to no one for. And you said it with a tone of apology in your voice, because that's how we approach things that are just for us. Yeah. And we need to make sure not to victim blame here. So she is the victim in this scenario because she lives in a society in which tells her that her productivity is way more important than her pleasure. And we have a lot of other barriers towards pleasure as well. Pleasure is where it's at for women and we need it. It's an essential nutrient for us. And let's claim it. No shame in the pleasure. And I think that there's no way that doesn't carry over into our sex lives. Yeah, it's one of my main paths uh, that I walk women through is prioritizing their everyday pleasure. So Mary comes in, she's learned about compassion, she's learned about consent, but you called it something else at the top. What, what, what did you say the second step was? Establish safety. Safety. Thank you. Okay. I just like to remind us of where we are in the journey. (laughs) Okay. Where do we take Mary next? Well, before we get to prioritize your pleasure, it's trust your intuition because we are inundated with messages, especially the media sex formula, which is very narrowly defined and very based on kind of a distorted model of male sexuality. And so we want to emulate what we're seeing in these TV shows, which are for performance, and they really have nothing to do with female pleasure. And so learning how to trust your intuition, learning what it feels like a yes and no in your body and trusting it. It it takes time because we live in this age of information where we're constantly looking for outside sources to validate our experiences. I feel like people's own physicality get in the way of them being able to trust their intuition. So you tell me if I'm just completely out of my mind, but meaning a woman might be, honestly, this is not gendered. I just, I just keep speaking what I know, just like you said, Jana. So forgive me. But when someone is uncomfortable in their body or they feel like, oh, if only I could lose 10 pounds or whatever story, whatever lie they're telling themselves about how they're not going to be beautiful to their partner until they fit some mold, I would think that that would almost be a blockage to being able to trust your intuition, to go with your own flow and to channel your own desires. Is that something that you bump into? Yeah, I've never actually made those that connection between body and intuition, even though I teach intuition through the body. So that makes sense. I love how you know what the next step is. So after prioritize your pleasure, we get to connect with your body. Oh, <laughs> so you you already know you're already intuitively as a woman figuring out what women need, which is so exciting. Oh, that's so, so funny because Jana, yeah. I mean, a lot of times, okay, little behind the scenes info, everybody, a lot of times the guests and I get together and we, we talk about the outline before we jump into it. But Jana, did we? No, no. we did not. <laughs> So I am learning. Absolutely. (laughs) I am learning right here with you. Okay. So let's come back to that. Let's come back to that. Okay. Is there anything else you want to say about trusting your intuition? It's just, these are paths. All of these are paths that you're going to be walking on for the rest of your life as a woman. Don't beat yourself up. Don't self-diagnose if you get into your head a lot, if you rely on other information rather than your own. It's okay. It's fine. Just dip your toes in a little bit. Go for a walk and just think, do I want to turn left or right? And just practice. 
Do I want to wear blue or red today? Just small little things to practice during your day. And then, then you can kind of work your way up to bigger decisions in your life. Okay. I got to talk to you about this for a second, because I am somebody who has lived out of their brain their entire, like my whole life has been based in my mind, in my brain, in the thing that I thought was me, but it turns out it's just my highly dysfunctional brain. It's fine. I have been practicing leaning on my intuition and really a lot of people meditate. That is not something that I claim to be good at, but I will immerse myself in a question, think on the question and listen for an answer. But what I love about what you're saying is I love playing with my intuition. So on these little tiny decisions, you know, where do I want to go to dinner tonight? Or what do I want to make for lunch? Or what pants am I wearing today? And the answer, just so you know, is yoga pants every day of my life. Okay. Relying on my intuition for all these seemingless seemingly trivial questions and decisions because it's a wonderful way to practice. There's so much more here that we could oh talk about. <laughs> so much more. Can I just share an example of this? Please. So often I, I run a program called Wanting It More and we have these group calls. So we usually have about 50 to 60 women on each call. And just recently I had a couple of women say, I don't know what I want I don't know what I want. This one woman in particular, she had this beautiful blue patterned wallpaper behind her. So I asked her about that. Did, you know, did someone tell you that? Did, did, it, was it, did it come with the house? No, she picked it out. She, she knows what she wants. She was wearing this comfy, cozy sweater. I said, did you choose that because someone told you to or you thought that's what you should? She said, no, I pulled it out of my closet because it felt good on my skin. So then I just started to ask her more questions. Do you like your husband's hand on your shoulder or your low back? Low back for sure. And we just kept on going on that vein. And I said, okay, there you are. You know, you can trust your intuition. It's not that hard. Yeah, we have everything within us. We just do everything in the world to distract ourselves from it <laughs> until we yeah. know better. Well, we're, we're also told that, especially in the sexual experience, that men know better. So we are conditioned to look towards the males in our life to teach us about our bodies and how they work. And they're clueless. So it makes sense that we would do that. That's an unfair thing to put on them too. Like we didn't come with a manual and nobody bothered to tell them how to prioritize our pleasure. And if, the, you know, so that's really up to us. So talk to me about that. So how do we, how do we prioritize our pleasure, especially when we agreed and all generalizations are false, but we agreed that most women, if we can just be really honest, aren't working on prioritizing our own pleasure in life in 360 degrees. So how do we do it when it comes to intimacy? You start by practicing it in everyday life. And my favorite way is to learn and develop the muscle of extracting pleasure. So we have five senses. Everyone right now, you too, can, we can look around our environment just visually and let our eyes land on something that brings us a lot of pleasure. Maybe it's the symmetry, maybe it's the shape, maybe it's the color, and we can just spend just a couple of seconds just looking at it, delighting in it, almost establishing a relationship with it. There we go. We extracted some pleasure. Now in the sexual experience, that may be a little piece of your husband that you really delight in. 
uh, a client of mine was talking about this little section on her husband's neck and there was this little soft place and they were playing a card game together and she just kind of let her eyes rest on that little part of her his neck and just really delighted in the visual pleasure of that and she ended up going ahead and giving it a kiss and whatnot so you can take it further but you don't have to so you can use all of your senses in the sexual experience in that way this applies to so okay those of you who we promised at the top that even if you're not married you will get something out of this this you can yeah. do this with moving your body instead of saying i'm going to exercise because i need to look a certain way or mm -hmm. even i need to exercise because i know it's good for me or what whatever whatever you plug in to fill in the blank what if you moved for the sheer pleasure of it doesn't that just sound so much more enjoyable right how radical of us <laughs> how radical that we would move our bodies to our pleasure i love even applying this to food and to eating because i used to be the type of person that if i was going to enjoy something one might consider indulgent or a sweet or whatever i would hoover it down like it was a bad thing and i was going to go ahead and get rid of it really quickly yep. <laughs> I've been there, been there many times. Like, oh, that's bad. I'll just eat it faster. Okay. Now, first of all, I stop attaching adjectives to food that moralize food. But secondly, when I eat something that is indulgent, and I mean that in a good way, I savor that. I enjoy it. I make love to that thing. Yes. Like, make love to I that have thing. a moment. I love it. I no love shame. the word. I love savor. Another one of, of my favorite is marinate. These are the words we want to use when we're thinking about sex. What comes after prioritizing pleasure? Then we get to connecting with your body. Oh, is that sex? Not yet. <laughs> okay, talk to us. I don't know about you, but I was very disconnected from my body. And I still am because I'm walking the path as a woman that has disconnected me from my body. But there can be a lot of shame. There can be a lot of inadequacy feelings. There can be a lot of, again, self-blame, self-diagnosis, self-judgment. Of course, makes sense, right? Compassion, because our world has told us that our value is very wrapped up in how we look, the size we are, facial, facial features, our hair, whatnot. So connecting with your body is really about establishing a new relationship with her, a relationship that can be rocky, that's okay, but is more of a friendship than estranged. I find a lot of women are very strange from their body, whether that's around pain, you know, childbirth, menstruation, chronic illness, whether that's around shame, trauma, whether that's around, you know, religious teachings that have told you that it's, you're dirty or whatnot. Um, also abandonment. We can feel very abandoned from our bodies if they have had unexplained waking or pain or they have been dangerous in any way. So there's a lot to unpack in this path, but it's doable. Uh, moving your thoughts through neutral, it just seeing your body as neutral, like I have a thigh, you know, one could think my, my, oh, that's so disgusting. My thigh is disgusting. Or you could say, I have a thigh. That's a fact I can believe that's neutral. And then maybe you may move to positive at one point in your life or maybe never, but you know, my thigh helps me walk and I like walking, right? 
and treating her like a friend. You know, friends don't call each other names. They listen to each other. They get sometimes get into disagreements and that's fine. I don't <laughs> like, I don't like my fingers. I probably will never like my fingers, but I have fingers. And then moving it towards your relationship with your vulva. And that's really, really important step for women. Is this where we start whipping out mirrors, Jana? You know it. You know it. <laughs> Listen, some people are driving. <laughs> it's not going to happen right now. <laughs> yes, don't worry. Usually women aren't running to this step. <laughs> I love how we went from body neutrality to mirror vulva. Go. <laughs> I understand. You know, you know, I jest, but when you talk about connecting with your body, is this the appropriate place to put back on the table that a lot of women carry a lot of shame or embarrassment around their physical manifestation and it holds them back in the bedroom with someone who loves them exactly as they are. That's kind of what's typically taught about your body. So it's more the conversation around body confidence. So, you know, you should love your body as much as your partner loves it, for example, or like maybe you could see your body through your partner's eyes. And that is still a visual manifestation of a body that your body is performative. So I want to tell all women now your body, the only purpose of your body is for your pleasure. It's your body, your orgasm, your nerves, your sensations. It is for you. You own it. So what I find is that when women are more connected with their bodies, sex becomes more connected. Instead of even doing what I just did, which is essentially setting up a mirror outside of yourself and checking to see if you like the reflection and the exactly. mirror is your partner's loving eyes. It's more compassionate than, you know, me and my mirror. My husband will always view me a thousand times more beautiful than I will. And you're saying that whole paradigm is broken. It's broken. To reflect that back, what I'm hearing you say, so you correct me, is... This is an inside game. <laughs> 100%. I just want to acknowledge that these are very counterculture concepts and they take a little bit to get your brain wrapped around them because we are dealing with some very strong neural pathways that say otherwise. Yeah, this requires some marinating for sure. Lots of marinating, <laughs> simmering, <laughs> extracting. Okay, what is the last path that really comprises this model of yours? Yes, so this is when we bring in the other person <laughs> and we explore an intimate connection. But the word explore, so this is a curiosity this is an opportunity not to show up to the sexual experience all empowered and confident and sexy and rah, rah, rah. This is actually using what I like to call exploration dates as an opportunity to learn about yourself, to cultivate compassion, to trust your intuition, to establish safety, and to prioritize your pleasure. So this is not performative. This is using the team of your marriage in which to uncover and discover what works for you, because I believe that women need to be the leaders of the sexual experience for us to ex experience full and complete safety. So this is where we take all of the paths up until now and put them in a container of safety and acceptance and love and start to walk these paths with somebody else. 
even though you're still staying connected to yourself, you're still prioritizing your own pleasure, you're still staying connected to your own intuition and cultivating compassion for yourself. So so I teach women to be the leaders of the sexual experience so that they can cultivate that really important uh, safety for themselves. And this is counterculture. This is not what we're taught. We're taught that men hold the guide and manual to women's sexuality, but it doesn't work very well that way because then you're always on the defense and we want you to be on the offense. We want you to be, hmm, what what would I like next? Or how am I feeling about this thing? So it is about moving through this experience just through your pleasure. And this is challenging. Tell me something. When you say leader, do you mean that the woman always needs to initiate? Do you want her to always be in the driver's seat? Walk us through what you mean. Oh, initiating is so, let's <laughs> just forget initiating. Schedule sex. Schedule sex, at least weekly. Otherwise, you'll forget you enjoy it. So have I spoken about responsive or spontaneous desire yet? No, let's talk okay. about it. But I mean, I have so many things I want to ask you now. <laughs> Oh, please. Do you want to do that first? Tell me about that while, while that's top of mind for you. And then tell us what you mean by leader. Cause some people, some, you lost some people at leader. They're like, I that, know. yeah. So tell us what you mean. Let's talk about responsive and spontaneous desire. And let's talk about the common objections of leader responder. I'd say all women I serve have something called responsive desire. This means that within a safe, comfortable, accepting environment, her arousal and desire can be cultivated. So it's not happening before the sexual experience, it's happening within the sexual experience. What we're used to seeing is what's called spontaneous desire, which is just going about your business and then suddenly getting in the mood. I just want some sex, where's my husband? Let's go jump in and have a quickie and you know, let's get this done. About 30% of women have responsive desire. And again, I think most of the women who have been diagnosed, misdiagnosed as having low libido have simply responsive desire. It's just the way they were created. It's not something that changes over time and it's just a fact of life and works very well as you can imagine with scheduling and experience. Okay. So the co most common ejections I get from women are, that sounds like a lot of work. That sounds exhausting. I am the leader in so many areas of my life. I am the leader in finances and children's activities and household responsibilities. I want to just lay on my back and have my husband figure it out. Part of that reason is because that's what we're seeing. That's what we have seen in the media sex formula is the hunky man and he makes her quiver with delight. We know this storyline well, right? So you've been watching Bridgerton, have you? <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. So we could go on and on here. But the reason why women think it's going to be exhausting is they're still thinking about it in the way of the old definition. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Old definition of sex is from that media sex formula, which is orgasm penetration. It's ridiculous because when I ask men and women alike, what is the purpose of sex in your relationship? They all say connection. So I say, well, wouldn't that be radical if we made that our goal, if we made connection and pleasure our goal? So in that sense of the word, you're not leading the experience to prove that you were, to get yourself you know, up the, the orgasm mountain to the peak. You're simply there to further 
a little bit of pleasure and connection in your life. So what does that look like then? How do, if someone, if someone says, okay, I'm tracking with you, but what does that mean I'm supposed to do? What do we tell that woman? So you take what you've been practicing in the other paths, in your everyday experience, in a very neutral environment, and you take it into what I call exploration dates. So these are scheduled, these are female-led, and there are no goals. There is the intention of pleasure and connection, but it's not really a goal. It's kind of somewhere where you're leading towards. So we've got those three characteristics of exploration dates. So you're going to enter with an easing in process. You're transitioning from your busy life, which it may have been really in your head and productivity focused. Hopefully you are prioritizing your pleasure, connecting with your body, trusting your intuition during that day, you know, but reality is reality. And so you spend some time easing in. What I find a lot of women delight in and need at this stage is connection. How was your day? Oh my, okay, you're not a stranger. We've, we've got some big picture things that connect us. Even just simple, simple things like what went well today or asking for reassurance. This is my favorite. So we all have these common interpretations or insecurities. Mine is I'm not successful and I'm a bad mom. Those are my two biggest ones. So I just asked my husband, do you think I'm successful? This is a new sexy talk. And do you think I'm a good mom? And he's like, yes. And he showers me with reassurance. Sometimes he'll ask me for reassurance. His ones are, am I a priority? And am I important to you? I call these magic phrases because you can replace them with I love you and they do so much better. I could do a whole podcast interview about <laughs> communication since I'm traditionally a marriage coach. That's what I'm trained as. Well, I gotta, I have to highlight what you just said because I say I love you 16,000 times a day. And if I would replace half of those with specific words of affirmation, wow, yeah. that's a great takeaway. Thank you. Yeah. And just so you know, men and women, typically these are gender generalizations, but they typically do have some default ones. So for men, I am proud of you. I believe in you. I respect you. I, you're important to me. You're a priority. Uh, your needs, I value what you need. Okay. Those are the kind of the main ones for men. So you may want to then wake up some of your senses by touching your husband for your pleasure. This is not normally what we do. Normally we touch our partners for their pleasure. What do they want? Is this good enough? Is this intense enough? Are they have? What happens when we do that as women? Our arousal and pleasure and desire shuts down. And we're operating from our mind in that case. Exactly. So focusing on the sensations on your hand or covering the areas of your body that you're curious about. Of course, if he's tickly or he doesn't like certain touch, of course you would want to respect those boundaries. But I find a lot of men are basically, go ahead. <laughs> Use me for your pleasure, sweetheart. I am down with it. <laughs> and then maybe combining talking and touching, and then you follow your pleasure. 
And I find I've been doing this for quite some time and almost every exploration date, something new happens because I'm a sophisticated, mature, ever evolving woman who has lots of um, just expansive pleasure opportunities. Now, I know a lot of your listeners right now are thinking, oh my gosh, that's, that's a lot of pressure. What if I don't like anything? I just want to remind everyone here that I was some Somebody who didn't have sex for years at a time. I thought I was numb. I rare I could only orgasm with a vibrator. Nothing wrong with vibrators, but I would just, you know, let's just get this thing over with. I was not, I did not consider myself a sexual person. So I just want to remind everybody that I understand what it's like. Some women are going to be hearing this and they're going to say, this sounds like a lot of work and it sounds like it's all on me. It's only all on you if you're using the old definition of sex. So there's nothing all on you if you're simply having the intention of having some connection and pleasure within the container of safety of the exploration date. If we're leaving the initiation to the woman and she is to take the first actions, I'm I'm thinking they'd be a lot of people not having any sex. <laughs> That's why they're scheduled at least weekly. And you're saying like, that is the way to go. Talk to me about that. Oh, a hundred percent. I don't understand. Our culture is just obsessed with the spontaneity. Doesn't mean anything. There's the narrative that it has to be spontaneous for it to count. And I think what it's rooted in is this misconception that if a woman wanted them, they would want sex. So if you're having to schedule sex, that somehow means that you don't want your husband or find him attractive or want to be with him. Yeah, no, it implies that it would, it's a perpetual want and need for men. That is a stereotype and they're open 24 hours a day. And then the woman is like, you know, give or take once every six months is fine. Yeah. And you have to reframe the concept of what sex is for and who is it for. So I encourage women to see sex as a self-care practice. And it's also why my methodology has been called radical. But I don't think there is anything radical about equity and justice in a relationship, which just means that everybody gets what they need to feel safe and comfortable. And we need different things. So of course you would have different roles in the relationship, in the sexual experience. Jana, one kind of final thought here. What do you say to the woman who says, I hear you. I understand. I'm supposed to get in touch with myself. I'm supposed to think about what I want. I'm supposed to listen to my intuition. I'm supposed to look for experiences of pleasure as I walk through life. And frankly, it all just sounds exhausting. I'm already tired. Yeah. Well, here's what I have discovered, Ella, as I have walked these paths in the last five or six years of my life. I have more time. I am happier. My anxiety and depression has decreased. I am a better mom and I can serve my community at a higher level. There is no way that I could run a business and be an entrepreneur at the level of stress and, and requirement if I wasn't doing all these things. So it may seem hard in the beginning, but it's hard because you're living not in a supportive environment right now. What you're going to do is you're going to create an environment that is supportive of you. And then suddenly you're going to be more productive, more creative, and just more uh, fulfilled and vibrant 
Because at the end of the day, I mean, sex is obviously intimacy, I should say. Intimacy between two people in an intimate relationship is obviously extremely critical and adds a whole dimension of beauty and connectivity. And not to take anything away from sex, but at the end of the day, what you're saying, it sounds like to me, is so much more than the sexual act. Yes, it's so much more. It is what do women need to thrive? And it's a symptom when sex is not going the way you want, if you don't have desire, it's a symptom of the, that you're in the wrong cultural and relational environment. So it's about changing the environment so that you can thrive and then suddenly you are enjoying sex, but you're also enjoying life more. Jana, thank you for expanding our horizons. Thank you for your point of view. Tell everybody where they can find you. And you're in Vancouver, British Columbia, right? But I imagine you work with people all over the place. Yeah. Tell us how to find you. Yeah. So, so you can go to Jana at Jana Denton House, no hyphen, just all one word. And also on Facebook, you can go to my website and you'll find the Wanting It More program there. And I do have a quiz if your audience wants to get on my email list and learn more. I will make it dead easy for everyone and put all of these links in the episode notes for this show. Jana, thank you so much. Thank you. It was so much fun. Okay, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, find me on Instagram at onairwithella or open the show notes for this episode and get all the links at onairella.com. There's no whip. It's just on airella.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for sharing the show. And thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.